Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord. You don't have to be wondering what kind of gender those guys are. Amen. Didn't uh, see any sissy jewelry on them or anything. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you love real men. Amen. Well, what a privilege tonight um, to have our pastor, the leader of our fellowship, most dedicated uh, man I've ever known in my entire life uh, to the cause of Jesus Christ and the vision plant churches around the world. And uh, I know he don't like me to say these things, but uh, uh, listen to me. You'll probably never see a greater man on planet earth than you're going to see tonight. Let's welcome Pastor Mitchell. Thank you, Pastor Camel. It's uh, wonderful, always a great blessing to be here, be with you tonight. Uh, thank God for Pastor Camel's leadership, uh, his example, uh, his enthusiasm for the things of God, and it's a great blessing for me to be here tonight. I uh, was thinking as I was sitting there, uh, last Friday night... Two conferences completed, one in Holland, where four international works and four pioneer works were launched. Also in Nairobi, Kenya, where three uh, pioneer works were launched. In one week, uh, a conference uh, is held in Melbourne, Australia, for the Victoria area. Undoubtedly, churches will be launched. One a week after that, uh, a, a conference will be held in South Africa where undoubtedly churches will be launched. And we know churches are going to be launched out of Chandler. Can you say amen? amen. What a tremendous blessing that you and I have to see all that God is doing in our fellowship and a wonderful blessing. I was in the... Um, Holland Conference did a crusade uh, for three nights uh, before the crusade, uh, before the conference. They've been having me do a tent crusade and then preach in Zwolle and then two nights uh, in the conference. Uh, God powerfully uh, moved in the city of Delft. Uh, the media came in, newspapers, nothing we could orchestrate, no 
It's just absolutely beyond description. Television news came in three days, uh, uh, two days, three minutes, the next two days. Uh, there were over 900 people in that tent on Saturday night, and that pastor had 133 convert cards uh, when those three nights were over. God wonderfully moved. In the Zwolle conference on Monday night, there would have been 1,100. On, tw uh, uh, on Tuesday night, there would have been more than 1,100. And I just heard today uh, that uh, on uh, the concluding night on Friday night, they had 1,500 people in that conference. And I want to tell you, God is gloriously moving, and we're, pri we're privileged to be a part of that. Can you say amen? Yes, amen. Thank God. 1 Corinthians 3, if you want to turn there with me. I want to preach for a few minutes. There is, uh, in every human, normal human being, there is the desire to, uh, to uh, accomplish. There is the, the desire to uh, succeed. There is a drive to excel. Uh, in the Bible, there is uh, uh, enumerated in this passage of Scripture a word that I want to take off uh, of, and that's the word uh, increase. In this passage of Scripture that we're going to have, it is a word that every person who labors uh, in the kingdom of God, every pastor wants to see this, every church uh, wants to see increase, every individual sitting here tonight, if you're a normal Christian, you want to see your impact increase, you want to see uh, souls reach, you want to see your influence uh, increased, uh, and your effectiveness. And here in this text, uh, I want to point out a few simple facts with you as I preach on the sermon entitled Increase. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to, spirit, as, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able for you're still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of, a Paul, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither who, he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to uh, his own labor. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the increase uh, of the church and of our individual ministries uh, within the church. There's a deadly factor that we need to think about as uh, we ponder this for a moment. And there's a danger, and that danger is that we become satisfied uh, and that we become complacent. Uh, we are able to support ourselves perhaps as we're pastors or we have some kind of influence in our uh, individual Bible studies or ministry, some kind of success. Uh, and so we're satisfied with that and we're willing to stop. We, uh, perhaps we have a building full or as an individual, we're making a living, 
And uh, the difficulty that we have is that we focus on comparison. We look at someone else and say, well, I'm doing better than they are. And we become satisfied with uh, that status to which we have achieved. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, says, We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul says again in Philippians 3, I count not myself to have arrived, but I press forward towards the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and inherent in every believer, inherent in all of God's creation, there is a principle that we need to grasp this evening, and that's the principle of increase. Think with me for a moment as we read these words tonight, because God is a God of increase. Can you say amen? In the book of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now here uh, is a principle, and that principle is not only what Paul has experienced, but he's expressing something uh, that is inherent to God himself uh, and all of creation. He uses uh, agricultural imagery that we need to think about. Uh, And uh, this principle is in all of nature, um, and uh, it is fundamental in the record of creation. It tells us very plainly that God placed within every living thing and every living creature a principle, and that principle is increased. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb uh, uh, that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that uh, it was good. Every living thing that God created has within it a principle, and that principle is a principle of reproduction. It is a principle of increase, And you and I who are in this conference tonight, this conference is about something. Can you say amen? We're living in a world where people gather together and in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they do all kinds of stupid uh, and insane things. Uh, uh, They wave their banners, they dance, uh, but when you get through, nothing's happened but their blood pressure's raised a little, uh, and that's all that's happened. You and I are gathered in this building tonight. I have not been here, but I know that undoubtedly there is a principle of challenge that has gone forth, and that challenge is uh, that we would increase, uh, and the Christian faith epitomizes it, lifts it up, uh, and Jesus told several parables. In those parables, he tells about the sower that goes forth to sow. He also tells that the kingdom of God is as a man that sows seed, and uh, rises and sleeps uh, day and night. Uh, And the early church exemplified this principle uh, that we need to focus on. Uh, This is the increase of the church, uh, and this is the increase of individual ministries uh, in Acts 2, 47. And uh, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In the book uh, of Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, so the churches uh, were... Uh, strengthened in the faith uh, and increased in number daily. 
If this is not happening, then this is a contradiction to the very nature of God. Can you say amen? This is opposite to and a contradiction to everything that God has placed in his nature, in the seed, in the creation that we have. And it's God's will and it's God's destiny for you and me, for our churches, for our individual ministries that will increase. It is contrary to nature. It is contrary to the purpose of God. It is contrary to the destiny that God has ordained for you. And it's contrary to everything that God has taught us in the Scripture, the gospel, the teachings of Jesus. And if this is not taking place, something's wrong. Can you say amen? I don't care how you cut it. I don't care how you're going to think about it. You can throw all the excuses aside. And this evening you're going to have to come to grips with this uh, because this is the divine uh, revelation. You say, well, pastor, I'm in a hard place. They're all hard. (laughs) Take it from me. They're all hard. That is no excuse. That does not let us off the hook uh, because God brings us to grip with this. uh, And if this is not taking place, why not? Jesus tells the parable of the wheat uh, and the tares uh, the wheat, I believe it's Adam Clark that tells us, is, has a natural principle of increase. But the tares are reprobate wheat or they're bastard wheat. It looks like wheat, has all the principles of wheat, but it is wheat that is degenerate, brings forth no fruit. And Jesus speaks of it as a contradiction that's not to be tolerated by God. And it's an affront to God's nature. It's an affront to God's reveal purpose and his ability that the status quo simply is accepted. And we accept that without question. Joshua, in the midst of his lifetime, He says to the children of Israel, there's yet much land uh, to be possessed. He's not willing to simply rest uh, on the successes of the moment, uh, but he's talking about uh, what God has ordained and destined. uh, And he said, we need to see uh, that take place. uh, And God is a God tonight uh, of increase. In the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 2, And verse 19, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about uh, the increase uh, with the increase uh, of God. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about this, uh, and I want to bring you to grips with uh, the increase of the church uh, and the increase of your ministry, uh, the increase of your ability, uh, your effectiveness, uh, your accomplishments. uh, And if that's not happening, something is contrary to what God's purpose is. uh, And I shove the excuses aside uh, and begin to ask uh, why. I want to talk to you about one other thing that's here in this text, and this is the increase in godliness. One of the awful truths of Christianity and of the church itself is carnality. There are three kinds of people on planet Earth. There is, number one, the unregenerate. These are the people who have not been saved. They are dead in their sins and trespasses, and these are people who are not uh, born again. There's a second kind of person. That's a person who is spiritually alive. 
And it talks about this in this passage of Scripture that we're going to consider. And these are people who are spiritual. They've been born again. They've been regenerated. And they are, as the Scripture says, led or under the control of the Holy Spirit. There's a third person. That person is mentioned in this text. This is a person who has an experience with God. They have genuinely been born again. But something's happened to that experience, uh, and rather than live the life uh, that is dictated by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, uh, they've allowed themselves to become uh, governed by uh, the lower nature, uh, and these are carnal people, uh, and carnality historically has been present in the church, and the Apostle Paul mentions that. This causes intolerance in the body of Christ. This causes territorial wars uh, we open a, a church uh, uh, in a city. There's only three and a half million people in the city. I mean, uh, there's not room for another church. If anybody else comes in, well, <laughs> it's a threat to our entire existence. Uh, and uh, the second guy comes in, and the only building available is a block and a half from the other church. You know, uh, uh, this is where all the good outreach our, uh, uh, areas are, and, uh, and leaders then have to uh, settle uh, settle the haggle and settle the fight uh, and have to referee. Uh, and the reason that our fellowship has some rules is to keep pastors from fighting with each other. <laughs> Colonel people, the Apostle Paul mentions in this text, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, let's look at it again for a moment, uh, and he says these uh, words, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal um, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The Bible prophesies that in the last days, the church of Jesus Christ, many who profess to be believers are going to have a form of godliness, but are going to deny the power thereof. Or in other words, their conduct is going to belie the profession and the genuineness of their faith. Now, this word, godliness, that I brought to you is linked to a relational behavior. One of the mistakes uh, that we make uh, in the church history is uh, that to be spiritual, we have to separate ourselves uh, and we have to cluster ourselves together in holy communes uh, so that we can be holy, righteous, uh, and develop a godly character. I was in Israel. I may have told you this in the conference. I was in Israel with a tour group uh, in November. And uh, we uh, turn aside off the road uh, down to the Dead Sea into the uh, old Jericho Road. Uh, we uh, park and walk over a little hill and look over on a cliff. Uh, and there, probably five stories high, is a monastery. Now, that monastery, there were three that were built actually by this order. That monastery was built uh, uh, so that people could be holy uh, 
and they could remove themselves from the world and be secure there as they lived a holy life. This is one of the mistakes of church history. Monks lived in the desert, removed from people. Simon Stylite sat on a pedestal for 38 years because he didn't want to be related to other people. He could be holy, and godliness is the aim. But I want to tell you that godliness is worked out in the arena of life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, but speaking the truth in love, uh, may grow up into all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes increase of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here's an imagery, and this imagery that we have tonight is various members of the body of Jesus Christ, of which every person who has been born again is placed into that, and as they function together towards God's purpose, this is the key to long-term building of churches. Every one of us who are sitting in this building tonight want to build our church larger. Can you say amen? Every genuine believer who is in this building tonight, you want to see your church, your Bible study, your group grow larger. Can you say amen? And if you could just throw some people out, do you feel like that could be accomplished? Listen to this text for a moment. First Thessalonians 4, uh, 9 and 10 uh, gives us these words, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Now think about this word, increase, uh, if you will, for a moment. Uh, in First Thessalonians 3, verse 12, uh, it's used again, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do uh, to you. Now, to cut to the chase tonight, uh, the, attracting, uh, the attracting of people to the church of Jesus Christ, uh, the retention uh, of those people who have been brought into the church uh, and uh, their growth uh, and uh, their discipling depends upon uh, this dynamic uh, of relationships uh, that we have. The difficulty is pride, partiality, uh, sectarianism, uh, disrupts and divides and hinders. Let me read you a little quote on pride and see if you can recognize yourself. Pride there is of rank, a pride of birth, a pride of learning, a pride of purse, a London pride, in short, be there on earth, a host of prides, some better, some worse. But of all the prides, since Lucifer's attaint, the proudest swells a self-elected saint. I preached a sermon in Prescott a short time ago, and that, that sermon was entitled, Convert Killers. It is a marvel to me how some people in their carnal approach uh, to other human beings uh, cannot stand a person who is of another color or another race. 
that absolutely blows my mind. It is astonishing to me uh, how people are so intolerant uh, of other human beings. uh, And here we are, we labor, we pray, we agonize, we fast, we lay hold of God. We say, God, give us souls, add to the church. uh, And the moment we get in, uh, some self-elected saint decides they've got to straighten them out, uh, at least by the second service that they come. Can you say amen? We don't preach a lot about dress codes, uh, but it's interesting to me uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, someone can come in, a raw sinner off the street. Amen. Sinners are sinners. How many of you know sinners are sinners? They do what sinners do, which is uh, they uh, uh, want to show as much of their body as they possibly can. They want to uh, do all the things that sinners do. And we just had a recent case, uh, a uh, uh, Hispanic couple comes in, and, uh, you know, Hispanic girls, they love to show their boobs to people, you know. (laughs) It comes with a culture. I don't know if it's in the DNA, I'm not sure what it is, but... But at any rate, one of the self-elected saints, of course, has to go to her and, and, uh, and assault and assault her, and they dropped out. Thank God they were back last night and, and, and so on and so forth. But this is an interesting thing about carnality. And, the, and, and, and this sister that did that is as carnal as the day is long. She's a walking disaster case. Wherever she goes, she ignites explosion, throws hand in it, you know. (laughs) So here we have this business. You see, godliness is not automatic. It would be a wonderful thing. If all we had to do was give an altar call, uh, they kneel down at the altar, and instantly uh, a halo come around their head, uh, and godliness. Uh, but you see, the Scripture says uh, that we need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. It is not something that's automatic. It's something that you must give yourself to. I see people all the time. They're walking or they're jogging. Or they're in a, a mot- they're in a hotel, or they're riding a, a bike that doesn't go anywhere, and <laughs> why are they doing that? They're exercising themselves uh, so that they can work off uh, that T-bone steak they ate at ten o'clock the night before. <laughs> Godliness is something you must exercise yourself to to accomplish. Let me move quickly on. Uh, There's a third increase I want to talk to you about tonight, and this is an increase in resources. Now, think with me for a moment as we come to grips with this. God has no lack of resources. You know, we approach this sometimes if, you know, God's broke. (laughs) Or he's stingy. You know, he's got it, but he's not given loose of it. That's a wrong view of this business of resources. And the Bible says very clearly in the Scripture a true picture. And in this true picture, uh, Haggai 2 uh, and verse 8, it says this evening, uh, uh, 
uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, Psalms 50 says, every beast of the forest is mine uh, and the cattle uh, on a thousand hills. When Haggai wrote this, uh, a king, a pagan king named Cyrus, uh, had, as the people of God are coming back to establish his testimony again in Jerusalem, he has given them a letter of credit that the treasuries of the empire were to be open to whatever need they had to establish the testimony of God and to bring to pass his purpose. How many of you tonight would like some money? All right, the rest of you, that's too bad for you. See, people in the audience say, oh, they're always looking for the trick question. I'm not going to raise my hand because it may be a trick. <laughs> How many of you would really like some money tonight? Okay, now you're being honest. Well, as we consider this for a moment uh, and think about this, I want you to uh, give a picture because what we have is a picture of a king and we have the picture of a kingdom with unlimited ability, with unlimited resources. And in Hebrews 4.16, says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Most of you, if there's going to be any, any money released beyond the ordinary, God's going to have to help you. Can you say Amen. I won't say what I was just going to say about how stupid people are about, uh, about money, but I, I might as well say it. <laughs> the throne of grace. Look with me for a moment, uh, because the issue that I want to deal with is uh, the increase of resources is dependent upon uh, the proper allocation of money. Money properly allocated causes an increase. Let's think about this word increase. It is normal to everything that God does. It is normal to all of creation. It is normal to all seed. It is normal to every living creature. It also is normal to whatever God is doing. And this involves money. Money properly allocated, the Bible says, brings increase. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, the Bible says, And it is in God's power to provide you richly with every good gift. Thus you will have ample means in yourselves to meet each and every situation with enough and to spare for every good cause. Now what we're dealing with tonight is a miraculous spiritual dimension. I'm not just talking about some kind of dynamic, some kind of networking program, some kind of scam like Amway or one of the other scams. I'm talking about God tonight, a miraculous spiritual dimension. And here is a revelation. There are invisible dynamics that are at work tonight that govern what God is going to put in your hand. There is invisible dynamics at work. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, the Bible gives us this interesting comment. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now think with me for a moment, uh, because this is the same Bible that says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. How many of you believe John 3.16? The same Bible that says that says uh, there is an invisible dynamic of the Spirit, uh, And that invisible dynamic of the Spirit is able to bring an increase to you individually, but it hinges upon the proper allocation of resources that God puts in your hand. Verse 11 says, While you're enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now, Jesus is very careful to underline this issue. He tells some parables. One is the parable of the pounds. One is the parable of the talents. Both of those in the original language is a measure of money. And when he says this, he's talking about both of those parables. Both of them have to do with the proper allocation of that measurement of money that's put into the hand of those as Jesus tells the parable uh, and gives the lesson. He says uh, this evening uh, that there's a principle that is involved, uh, and he tells the story of the man uh, uh, that, uh, 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 whose crops bring forth bountifully. And as he does this, he says, what am I going to do with all this wonderful blessing that God has given to me? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns, uh, and I will lay up many goods and say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. And he says, You fool, this day your soul is going to be required to you because you're rich for yourself, but you did not allocate what God's blessing gave to you to God. Now, this is serious business. When Jesus talks in the Scripture and uses those measurements of money, he's talking about the proper allocation. When the Apostle Paul writes, he uses this same imagery. And Jesus talks about treasure in heaven. This is directly related to our liberal use of money. And the Bible says clearly that God's blessing for you and I tonight of finances is not for ourselves so that we can indulge, but it's given to us for kingdom purposes. And so tonight, you want money? You want money into your hand? You want to be a steward over resource? Pastors, you're sitting there tonight, you, you say uh, immediately, say, yeah, I need money. Well, if you need money, it has to do with the proper allocation of money. This is an invisible spiritual dynamic. And as you're sitting there, the Bible says that it is keyed to how you're using the money that God puts in your hand. Are you viewing that as you are a steward of God's riches and it's to be allocated for kingdom purposes? Or are you just using that for your own enrichment? It is very notable that when Jesus told these stories... He, was, uh, he could have used all kinds of imagery. He could have talked about seed, actually, when he uh, gave these parables of the pound uh, uh, and, and of the, uh, and the talent. But he deliberately uses an imagery of financial measurement when he tells each parable. And the impact of the story is totally dependent on uh, the allocation or the use uh, of the money that God puts uh, 
in uh, your hands. This is a generation tonight uh, of unprecedented uh, wealth. There's so much money uh, that is absolutely staggering to me. Uh, I said before I was, uh, I was uh, uh, raised in the Depression. And in the Depression, I want to tell you that we saw real need. It was like third world needs today in many places uh, because we saw that. But today, we are blessed beyond imagination. Uh, you sitting in this building tonight, you live a lifestyle that kings of old would have dreamed of living. You come into your house, you flip a light switch on, lights come on. You still with me? You go to the refrigerator, you pull out food that's preserved by a marvel of modern mechanization that is a blessing. You go to the toilet. You flush it, it disappears. <laughs> Do you know how what a blessing that is? <laughs> See, some of you are too young, but Pastor Campbell and I come from a generation that knows what outhouses are. What a blessing <laughs> on a cold winter night <laughs> to go into a warm bathroom. Do the thing and flush the toilet. <laughs> you say amen? See, most of you, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I remember when we were raising our children, uh, we, on one of the few vacations we went on, we went up around Kenyon Lake or Apache Lake or somewhere up there, and uh, uh, the kids had to go do the job. And so I uh, said, there it is right down there. This is a, this is a, a state-built or government-built uh, outhouse. And our kids had never seen an outhouse have the slightest clue what an outhouse was. And one of the girls came back and said, that place smells like an outhouse. The reason is it was an outhouse. (laughs) I'm talking about wealth placed in the hands of a generation that God clearly makes known to us is the last generation. James 5. Verse 1 through 3. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for all your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. There's a lesson for us as I conclude tonight. This lesson is in the television ministries that most of have observed as they flourished, took in millions of dollars that could have gone for the spread of the gospel of Christ, but they built theme parks, parks, squandered this on various things, and several of them, in our memory, God has just said, I'm tired of that. And he just pulled the string and disgraced and shut down because they squandered the wealth that God had placed in their hands for world evangelism. Tonight, as you and I are sitting in this building, I want to say to you that God has blessed us with wealth 
He has increased us. He has blessed us. And that is not for our own enrichment. It is for the blessing of the kingdom of God. And as you're sitting here tonight as a pastor, as you're sitting here tonight as an individual, various levels of blessing have been brought to you. If you want to be a steward of God, that God pour into your hands significant resources, you must learn that the proper allocation of your resources will bring an increase, release a spiritual dynamic that only God and bring to pass because he's a God of increase. I want every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment as I conclude tonight. As we're pausing in the presence of the Lord, there are people. Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this Sermon Podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church Uh, we could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews Uh, these do help us to get the word out about this podcast i want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the united states to the uk australia ireland germany New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, Would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.